welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. So open your, open your Bibles, uh, if you got them, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 for the very first time. And this morning we're going to be studying the first five verses. Uh, so let's go ahead and read that together. Beginning in verse 1. Paul writes, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Let's pray. Father, what a, what a great passage this is. And, and I pray, Father, that, that you will be able to communicate to each one of us here this, this morning the, the excitement and, and the power that I saw in this verse, these passages, or this, this passage, these verses this week. And that we would, we would see where our hope lies, where life lies. And we would discover a way to trust in you even in greater ways. So we're excited for what you have in store for us. We're asking you to be the teacher for your spirit to work in each and every one of our hearts. In your name we pray, amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I've really been enjoying this study of 2 Corinthians. Uh, and and for the, one of the many reasons why is because it's revealed to me the heart of the Apostle Paul. I've seen Paul in a, in a way that I haven't seen in some of his other letters that I've studied. You see the, the mind of Paul, particularly in the book of Romans. You see the, the passion of Paul in, in the book of Galatians, where he's actually saying to people, I, I wish they had castrate themselves. You know, those are some fighting words, I think, right? So you, you, see, you see the Apostle Paul show up in various ways in various letters. But in this letter here to the Corinthians, I think for me, I've really been seeing his heart. I've really been seeing his passions in, in ways that, that other uh, letters don't really show up. And in particular, as we've seen in, in these chapters that we're studying right now, right in the middle of it, we're seeing what it means to be a minister of the new covenant. And remember, who are the ministers of the new covenant? Who are they? Just shout them out. Is it just pastors and, and, and missionaries, Sunday school teachers? No, we all are ministers of the new covenant, right? It, it, there's no, no training required, no degrees, no letters after your name. Every single one of us are ministers of the new covenant. And so he writes then in, in verse one, therefore, since we have this ministry, this ministry of the new covenant, that we're, we're not putting people back under the law. We're not trying to get them to earn acceptance from God, but instead we're, we're offering to them the grace of God. Since we have this ministry, as we received mercy, we do not lose heart. That phrase, as we received mercy, uh, it's talking about how, how Paul was loved by Jesus. And you think about, you know, Paul, who he was and what he was doing before he had that encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. He was the number one enemy of the church. 
He, was, he, de- he dedicated his whole life to destroying this thing that he thought was heresy, destroying the blasphemy that he thought the church was. And, and yet God loved him. God showed him mercy. And that impacted Paul in such a way because this, this love that Paul has received, and not only Paul, but his co-laborers, Timothy and Silas and others, he says, because we have this, we do not grow weary in the service. Literally, what it's talking about is that we're not being exhausted. Now, please understand, that doesn't mean that, that Paul and the other apostles didn't feel tired. We, we see that actually later on in this book, how he felt tired. And, and even Jesus felt tired at times. And, and so it's not that he just was always walking around with a smile on his face. And, and I've seen that from some people. They think that's what the joy of the Lord means, is that you're never tired. Everything's fine. Everything's good. And that wasn't the case. The Apostle Paul felt that tiredness. But what he's referring here about never being exhausted was the sense of it. He never gave up. Despite the fatigue, despite the tiredness, despite the the disappointments and the frustrations, and even the betrayals and the rejections that others would show to him, he never stopped fighting for other people. It's sort of like Rocky in, well, pretty much every Rocky movie, where he's in the big fight, and the first 10 plus rounds, he's just getting the snot beaten out of him. And he's all bloodied and can't see anymore and looks pretty much like he normally does, I think. But, but nonetheless, he, he suddenly then comes back in that final round and he lays haymaker after haymaker. It's just dramatic. And then he wins and everyone is excited. Right? It's just this massive moment, right? That's sort of that never give up mentality, that never give up attitude. That's what Paul's talking about here. That, that even when he's facing discouragement, even when he's facing disappointment and fatigue and fear and anxiety and wanting to give up, he never did. He never gave up. And why? Because the love of God that was showed on him, because of the mercy that he experienced. And so that's the source of it, that because he was loved, he was able to love others. He kept fighting. And he kept going and looking after people and loving people. Jesus, right? So that was what he was doing, right? So that's the mentality here that, that we have as well as ministers of the new covenant. So he goes on then in verse 2. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God. Now, the, these hidden things of shame might be better translated as disgraceful and underhanded. Uh, that's how the, uh, the ESV version translated it. And, and I make that distinction because he's not talking about that he's, he's re- rebuked or he's, he's dismissed or he's turned his back on the things of his own shameful past. That's not what he's referring to. He's saying that as a minister of the new covenant, we're not underhanded. We're not trying to be disgraceful. We're not trying to be manipulative. He's really referring to this contrast here of the tricks that are played by many preachers and teachers. Because remember, Paul's explaining what a new covenant minister is. And he's going to contrast what it is with what it's not. And so he says, we're not manipulative. We're not controlling of other people. And to be honest, I'm sure we all can think of, or we all know of, of, of teachers and preachers out there that are out there twisting and manipulating the scriptures for their own good that they're misrepresenting the scriptures for their own personal gain. I wish I could say there's only about two or three, but there's a long history of them. I mean, recently, the, one, of, one of the teachers that I looked up to, that I enjoyed his ministry, a man named Ravi Zachariah, 
came out after his death of how he was using his position, using his authority to convince women to have sex with him. And I've seen that with chaplains in prison and so forth, abusing their power or, or other church leaders and, and even abusing even young children in that, in that role. And then you have others who are out there. They're, they're promising blessings and miracles. If you just send $99 for the next six months, God will bless you. And the only seeming miracle that seems to happen is the guy gets his third private jet. And, and what he's talking about is we know these, these so-called TV evangelists, these so-called preachers that are simply out there to get, to get rich off of you. They're, they're using the, the gospel and they're, they're perverting it. They're twisting it for their own personal gain, their own personal benefit. And then there's others who, and this is far more subtle, they're not using it for financial gain, but rather they're trying to profit off of it in their own ego, their own sense of value and worth. And maybe that's based on the size of their ministry or it's based on the number of people that they've impacted and, and most often the fame that it kind of brings. Oh, did you hear so-and-so pastor? Oh, did you see what they're doing? And it's a bit of an ego boost. And so there are many teachers, many pastors and preachers out there who are profiting off of the gospel in that sense. And you can often tell the people that are, that are in that case because what they're doing is they're beginning to water down the gospel. They're beginning to water down the message and ignoring some of the so-called controversial teachings or controversial parts of the Bible. This is what, the, what Paul means when he's referring to adulterating the word of God. That, that word adulterating is, is literally in that time in, in the Greek is referring to where you're using inferior ingredients in order to uh, produce something, but it's going to be of inferior quality. Right? So, for example, if you add a little bit of filler to, to make your hamburgers, right? So that filler is, is there and it's, it's pumping it up, but it's, it's not as good as if it was just pure beef. Or you're adding a little bit of water to your wine. Or is Pepsi okay? Or, or when you start to have gluten-free bread, for example, right? It's just not the same stuff anymore, right? Is it really bread at that point? I don't, I don't think so, right? So, so that's what it means by adulterating. You're using inferior ingredients here. And so that's what he's referring to is what people are doing is they're taking the gospel and they're watering it down. They're, they're twisting it. And it's interesting because I see it in a couple different ways. I see it in a way where they, they avoid some of those controversial topics, uh, you know, that the society, maybe it'd be about uh, same-sex marriages or, or transgenderism and so forth, the things that are kind of hot, hot button topics, they're going to avoid those altogether so they can just preach a message that everyone likes to hear, just kind of tickle the ears. Or... I've seen it another way where they actually start to pick on those controversial things because that controversy, you know, stirs up hate, stirs up anger, and that gets views. I mean, you see it on, on the news networks right now, right? If it, if it bleeds, it leads sort of idea, right? If it, if it, if it causes rage or, out, or outrage, people click on it. And so there's some pastors that are doing that, picking those controversial topics just so they can get those, those views and those clicks. But they're missing the heart of the gospel. They're missing the key to it. And, and, and so what we want to do is we want to get beyond all that. Because see, in Paul's case, he was motivated by something different. He wasn't motivated by fame. He wasn't motivated by money. He wasn't motivated by notoriety or even the love of people. Right? He says to the Galatians, I'm not a man pleaser. If I was a man pleaser, I would teach a different gospel. 
That's not what I am. So what's motivating him? What's driving him? He goes on in verse 2, and he says, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. What he's referring to here is that, that he's trying to get past our masks. He's trying to get past the lies, not only that we tell other people, but we also tell ourselves. You know what I mean by that? Where we're, we tell ourselves that, you know, what I'm, I'm doing here is, is, is okay. It's okay. But deep down, I know it's not okay. There's a part of us that knows this is not good. It's not healthy. It's not right. But there's a layer above that that I'm just telling myself it's okay. Well, what Paul's referring to is he's, he's presenting the word of God in such a way. He's presented the gospel in such a way that it cuts past every single layer. And it's like people were maybe sitting there like, you're, you're speaking right to me. It's like you're looking in my eyes and you, you, you've penetrated all my layers of defense, all those layers of deceptions that I've been telling myself. And, and you meet me right there. And that's what he's talking about, where he's, he's presenting them, he's manifesting the, that love right at their conscience level, right in front of God. And he's proclaiming God's love to them right there. That's the good news. Well, I'm often asked then, if, if this news is so good, <clears throat> if this knowledge of God's love is so amazing, then, then how come it's not taught everywhere every Sunday? How come we don't hear more about this faith in Christ and, and this offer of love and mercy? Because if, if it was taught this way, then more people would probably come to faith in Jesus. So why is it not taught more, more widely? Paul explains that in verses three and four. And he says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they may, might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Remember we saw in chapter three, he used this image of veils, right? Now how, how Moses was veiled and, and they couldn't see that fading glory. Well, now he's talking about how this good news, the gospel is veiled to those who are perishing, those who are struggling, those who have not accepted it. And the reason that it's veiled, he goes on to say, is because of the God of this world. Literally, that, that, that passage or that phrase should be the God of this age, the small g God of this age. I think they use the, the God of this world because it's, it's akin to or similar to a phrase that Jesus would use. He would talk about the ruler of this world, which we know is Satan, the small g God, the small g ruler of this world, who's got some dominion and some authority because Adam and Eve gave that to him and he's trying to exercise it. But I think that's why Paul says he's only of this age. His time is running out. He's been defeated on the cross and he's just sort of having his last, last gasp right now almost, but he's, he's trying to blind as many people as he can from the good news. And so they're blinded to it in their minds. They, they don't understand it. They don't see the truth of it. That was the, the problem with Nicodemus is that Jesus was teaching the, the glories of the, of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God that was near. And Nicodemus, being one of the, the great teachers of Israel, studying the scriptures, devoting his whole life to studying the scriptures, and he still couldn't get it. And he says, because you need to be born of the Spirit. Paul, in, a, in the earlier letter to the Corinthians, he, he described it this way to them. In, in chapter 2, beginning of verse 12, he says, Now we have received... Not the spirit of the Lord, uh, spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. 
which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But look what he says, but the natural man, the natural person is the one still in Adam, the one who has not yet or has rejected Jesus, but not yet accepted him. He says, but the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Have you ever tried to share the gospel with someone, the good news of Jesus, and they just look at you like you got four eyes? And they just, it doesn't make sense to, to them. And they're just thinking you're crazy. And it's just, it doesn't add up. And, and yet to, to us, it's so clear. It's so obvious. And it's because they don't have the spirit of God in them to understand it. Now, the good news is, well, how do they get that? Because if they're blinded, how do they open their eyes? How do they see it? And as we saw earlier in chapter 3, in verse 16, whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Whenever a person turns to the Lord. Notice it doesn't say when the Lord turns them. Notice that? It doesn't say when the Lord turns them. It says when the person turns to the Lord. Meaning, God's waiting on us. God's waiting on us. We're going to see when we get to chapter 5 that he's already done the work. He's already was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. And now he's given to you and I the ministry of reconciliation that we would go out to the world and cry out, be reconciled. Because God's already put his hand out. And he's waiting now for anyone to turn to him. And the moment they turn to him, those scales fall off the eyes. The blindness is removed, just as it happened to the apostle Paul. And they can see the truth. They can see the glory of who Jesus is. And so he's just waiting for them. But the God of this world is trying to hold them captive, trying to blind them to it. So how does he do that? How does, how does he blind us or blind the world really from the, the gospel, the goodness of Jesus? And, and I think what it comes down to is he does that kind of like a magician does it. You think about a magician, a magician or an illusionist, the, their whole act is based on deception, right? It's this idea that they're going to do some kind of trick that is impossible, and you know it's impossible, and yet so they're going to you know, cut a person in half or they're going to you know, disappear on this side and show up over there. Remember the movie Prestige? Right? If you haven't seen it, spoiler alert, they're twins, right? But they you know, it would, would be in a box on one side, and then all of a sudden they would show up in the other box, and no, how do they do it? Well, no one thought they're twins. It's pretty simple, right? But, but this, it was all based on a lie. It was based on deception. And that's how our enemy operates. Think about the names that he's given. He's the father of lies. He's the deceiver. It was this whole approach to Eve in the garden, right? To deceive her into thinking that if she were to follow his counsel, that she would find life, that she would be like God. And so she was doing these things, thinking it was going to benefit her. And so that's what the enemy's doing. He's deceiving us into thinking, you know, if you do this over here, you'll find life and you'll be okay. So let's, Let's define that phrase, life. Because I think we, we might have a, a too narrow uh, mindset on it. And maybe the best way to, to start out with that is to understand what, what death is. And I think it's critical that we understand these two terms, life and death, is because Jesus came to rescue us from death in order to give us life. Pastor Robin last week did an incredible job in, in the Psalms there talking about death. But 
but you would be mistaken to think that Robin and that passage is only talking about physical death. It was only talking about that moment when we're, we're, your heart stops, lung stops, brain stops. For some of you, that's already happened. But nonetheless, when you would be mistaken thinking that moment you're ready to go on the ground, that's when death takes place. Death is something much bigger than just that moment. Think about it this way. In a simple way, death is the absence of life. Right? When we talk about a battery is dead, we mean that it's got no power in it. It's got no juice left in it. Or when a car is dead, we call it a Ford. I mean, it, it just won't start. <laughs> a party is dead when, when there's no life there. Right? People are there, but it's quiet and, and country music's being played. Right? So in all those cases, death is used to refer to something that is missing life, that's absence life. It's not referring to something that's annihilated. It's not referring to something that's got, got no movement to it, but there's just no life to it. And so death in the scriptures is offering, referring to much more than physical death, much more than when someone passes. For example, in Ephesians 2.1, we saw this, we're going through the book of Ephesians, and you were dead in your sins and your trespasses. He wasn't talking about, you know, these people who are zombies in Ephesus, and it was a little weird, but don't worry, Jesus came and showed up. That's not what he's referring to. He says, these people that were walking around, making choices and doing things, were really dead on the inside. Much like Jesus said about the Pharisees, he said, you're whitewashed tombs. Whitewashed, clean on the outside, good-looking behavior, but dead on the inside. That's what he's referring to. And it's the product, really, of Adam and Eve eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because remember what God said. God warned them, the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And so that's what they did. They experienced death. And, and again, death is the absence of life. So maybe, maybe to understand death, let's understand life to start with. Life is essentially the things that you need to survive. And you remember, we've been, been learning that we're, we're really comprised of three parts. What are the three parts that we're comprised of? Mumble, mumble, mumble. What is it? <laughs> Spirit, soul, and body. That's right. Right? Spirit, soul, and body. So in our body, what we need there, what life is to our body, is things like food and water and oxygen and, and rest and warmth and shelter. Those are the things that your body physically needs. Without those things, the body will experience some, some death. In our soul, that's where our mind, will, and emotions are. That's where we need to have wisdom, good, accurate information. We need to have discernment, the ability to make good choices, to, to discern between the various choices we have. And we need things like peace and hope and patience and joy and, and perseverance and, and love for other people. But in our spirit, the core of who we are, remember, we're spiritual beings at the core, made in the image of God. In our spirit, we need to be loved. In order for me to have a love for other people, I need to receive a love, and that's going to be at my spirit level, where I'm loved, and I'm accepted, and I have worth and significance, and I belong to someone. And I'm safe and secure in all of that, meaning it's never going to disappear. It's never going to go away. That's life to a person. That's what every single person is looking for. And, and if you ever kind of take a step back, listen to the songs, watch, the, watch the, mu the movies that the culture puts out, and that's what you see is people hungry to be loved, to be accepted, right? 
Think about that Beatles song, right? Look at all the lonely people. Where do they come from? It's a cry to be loved and to be accepted. That's what we're looking for. And so if that's life to a person, therefore death is the absence of that life. Right? So in your spirit, you take away that love and they're left as being unloved. You take away that acceptance and they're now rejected. You take away that worth and significance and they're now worthless. You take away that belonging and they're alone. You take away that security and they're insecure. And then death in the soul is the absence of discernment. It's poor choices. It's believing lies. It's anxiety and frustration and dismay and despair and bitterness and selfishness and anger towards other people. That's death in our soul. And so we can begin to think in our lives when we've experienced those things. And, and really what that is, is that's, it's not wrong to be experiencing those things. If you're experiencing that dismay or despair or frustration, that's just God's way of saying to you, you're experiencing death right now because you're not experiencing my life. But even physically, you know, sickness and fatigue and, and cancer and such, we're experiencing that in our bodies. That's what death looks like. All because of what Adam and Eve did in the garden, plunging all of mankind into it. Death spread to all. And so in a way, you can think about it, that, that when you arrived here on planet Earth, and to this day, all the unbelievers are the true walking dead. Right? They're the they're true, true zombies in that sense. And so the world is offering a solution to that. The world is offering, I mean, I can't... I can't, I don't know how to express this to you guys that every day you and I are being advertised, marketed to by the world. And they're not just trying to sell you a car or a Rolex watch or, or a trip on Expedia or anything like that. You know, they're doing much more than that. They're offering you a solution. They're offering you life. That's what they're trying to sell you is an, an option, an opportunity that you will find life if you just follow through with this purchase. And so it, it looks like a bunch of different things. Maybe it's materialism, right? And if you just, if you had the, the right clothes, right? I mean, the actual, like actual like Nike shoes. That was for me growing up, right? Nikes were the real deal. I just had whatever, you know, Kmart was selling at the time. So, but that's what was, you know, if you had the Nike shoes and you had the, the nice looking jeans and the, and the polo shirt was the big thing at my school at the time, right? And, and, but it was always big money. So I had a little crocodile on my shirt. But the, the lie was, if you just dress the right way, and then you grow up, and then it's like, well, but if you get the right car, and, you, and if you get a, get a house, but a bigger house with a pool, right? And if you have you know, fancy things like that, and then the, if you get the jewelry and, and everything materialist, things that this world is to offer. Now today it's like, do you have the right phone and the right computer and the right tablet and so forth? And all that pursuing those ideas just to fit in and to belong. The world offers a solution through adventure, through, through entertainment, through vacations. If you just have that experience, if you get to climb the mountain, if you get to go to, to Cabo, if you get to, to see uh, this band in concert, if you, if you get that experience, that, that will fill your soul and everything will be okay. We do it and for, for a brief moment, it feels like we've, we've, we've figured it out. We just, just need to follow the band around the, the globe and everything will be okay then. But even then, it's still not enough. 
For others, it's the career. If, if you just get the right job and, and then advance and they get the, the prestige in that career. Oh, I'm, I'm a doctor. I'm a lawyer. And, and, and that sort of mentality. Then that will satisfy you. Or maybe it's money and power. If, you, if you're making enough money and you have enough money in the bank account, because now, now no one can tell you what to do and you'll be okay and, and everything will be all right. Or maybe you think it's through politics. Because again, that's what the politicians are selling us. Vote for me and I'll give you life. And so maybe you think if I vote for this party, then the government will look after us and provide more for us and that will be good. And then, then I'll be okay because the government's looking after me. Or maybe you think of the other side of it and you think, you no, know, it's the free market and we, just, we need to get government out of the way. And if we have free market, then that will be okay. And I'm here to tell you, neither is life. Neither is going to work for us. Then there's others who think it's family. If I, just, if I just have a family, and maybe, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's kids, maybe it's friends, and I just have people around me to love me, then that will be enough. But you know, it's still never enough. For others, then, it's, it's a philosophy. I just got to listen to the right podcast, find the right guru, read the right books, have the right mentality, the right approach to life, the right phrases, the right sayings. And then maybe the worst one of all of it is the world offers us religion. A way that you can seemingly please God, a way to God through your performance. And that's what we see in Hinduism and Islam and Judaism and Mormonism and, and even some flavors of Christianity where it's simply reduced to, a, to following a set of commandments and rules to please God. And it, it misses the point and the beauty of Christianity, which is Jesus is alive today in you. You see, if it was all about the rules and you doing it, then it, you wouldn't need a living Jesus. But he's alive today and he's empowering us and he's offering us so much more. So I share all this because I want you to be on the, on the, on the alert be watching for what this world is selling you, right? When you're, when you're watching TV or listening to, to a message or you're seeing an advertisement, ask yourself, what is it really selling me here? And is, it, is that really what's going to satisfy me? Because to be honest, if it, if it was, then North America ought to be the happiest place on earth. And, and based on the amount of people that are, are looking for counseling and antidepressants and so forth, it's not working. And then you got some of the, the places that are literally dirt poor. Literally dirt poor. I mean, that's dirt floors. Their, their toys are dirt. I mean, it's just that's all they got. And there's great joy and happiness. So clearly, it's not what this world is offering. And so that's why in verse 5, Paul says, we're not like the world. We're, we're, we're not like, you know, what the, what the enemy's offering. Instead, we're offering something else. And he says in verse 5, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord. I love that. The answer's not splashy. Nor is it that you need to be me, to follow me and live like I live. No, it's, it's something far better. It's Jesus. That's what he's offering, you guys. Because I, I, got, I got nothing but Jesus. That's it. I love how, how Paul put it in the first letter to the Corinthians that we have. In chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, he says, When I came to you, brethren, 
I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. Do you realize how much comfort I find in that verse personally? Paul says, I wasn't a great speaker. In fact, many, many had a reputation for that, that, wow, he's like a lion in, in his writings. He's powerful in his writings. But when you meet him, he's sort of not that great. I mean, Apollo, I mean, he was, Apollos was something. You, you go listen to Apollos, but Paul, eh. So he says, I, I didn't come to you with a flashy message. I didn't come to you with, with a big presentation. And I find great comfort in that because it's not on me to come up with something that is going to entertain you, something that's going to, to rile you up in your emotions. That's not my goal. He says, I love this verse too, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was it. That was all I wanted. I just wanted to present to you Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. I was so nervous. I was so anxious. I was scared. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom. You, you wouldn't have been blown away by anything Paul had to say. But instead, it was in the demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. You wouldn't trust me. You would trust Jesus. That's what he was saying. And so that's what he was all about. It was this, this proclaiming to, to the people in Corinth, Jesus in the cross. And that's, that's all I have to offer you guys. That's all we have as a church to offer one another is Jesus and what he accomplished on that cross. So let's, let's think about what happened on that cross. Again, the mistake that we can make is, is, well, it's not Easter, so we don't need to talk about the cross. Right? That's the, you know, the lead up to Easter is when you talk about the cross. And then afterwards, it's you know, on to something else. No, no, no. Every week, it's the same message. Jesus and the cross. Because that's the power. That's the power of God, he says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, is what took place on that cross. It was a demonstration of his love for us. I often hear people say, how do I know he loves me? How do I know that Jesus really loves me? And the answer is the cross, because he went to the cross to die for you. He endured the suffering. He endured the whipping, the beating. But maybe worse of all, he endured being separated from his father for a time so that he could redeem you and I, so that we could be forgiven, completely forgiven. I mean, think about that. There's not one single sin that you have or will do that Jesus hasn't already paid for all taken care of, completely forgiven, washed clean. But you were also included on that cross. Isn't that a wonderful news? That, that the old you, the old Christian is dead and gone, not around anymore, but you were buried with Jesus, gone forever. The old sinner is dead, sinner is gone, the sinful nature is gone. You're now a new person, a new creation, a new man, a new Greg, a new norm that is so pure, that is so good, that Jesus can now take up permanent residence inside of you to such a degree that his spirit and your spirit are one. Incredible. That's Christ and Ivy right there. And if you don't know Christ and Ivy, get to know her because she will display the love of Jesus in a powerful way because Christ is in her and with her all the time, even when she forgets it and doesn't act like it. She still is Christ and Ivy. That's who she is. That's what Jesus did on the cross. 
And because of that, you and I are holy. We're righteous. We're pure. And everything I need, every challenge I face, Jesus is present and he's supplying it for me. That's why he's preaching Jesus and the cross only. Because that's the answer this world needs. Not, not another uh, program, not another methodology, not another, not another philosophy, not more understanding of the science. That's not what we need. All of those things, if they kept on going, would finally lead you back to the, what we already knew to be the truth, which is Jesus. So think about it. Maybe, maybe you know of or maybe you're in a troubled marriage right now. And so the temptation is, well, what, what can I do to fix my spouse? How can I get them to listen to me and do what I want them to do? And, and how can I get them to meet my needs? That's not the approach. Instead, the attitude is, is thank you, Jesus, that you're in me. And yeah, my, my spouse right now, they're not loving and respecting me the way I want them to. But you do. And you're enough. And so thank you that you love and you respect and you honor me. And because of that, Despite this person not treating me well, I'm going to trust you to love them. I'm going to trust you to respect them with an unconditional love and an unconditional respect. Meaning they didn't earn it, they don't deserve it, but neither did you. But because Jesus has bestowed it on me and he's in me, I can now share it with them. Or, or maybe, maybe you're, you're a grieving spouse. There's a, a friend of mine, he, he lost his wife this week. Very sudden. Happened over, over a span of about four to six weeks. And then you just imagine, there's no, no preparation for that. It was just suddenly, she's gone. And yet Jesus is right there. Showing up in ways that you and I can't even imagine with his comfort. Or, or maybe you're parenting children in this world. And you're looking around the, the world and how messed up it is and how upside down it is. And you're thinking, how do I protect these kids? How do I, how do I lead these kids? And Jesus says, trust me. I'll, I'll show you the wisdom. I'll show you how to discipline them. I'll show you how to love them. Just trust me. Or, or maybe you're struggling with depression. It's not wrong to be depressed, but it's an indication of a, of a hurt in you that Jesus wants to heal. And so it's an opportunity, an open door to invite Jesus in to bring healing to that depression. Or maybe it's an addiction. And there's no, no one greater to overcome an addiction than Jesus, our way maker, our chain breaker. Or maybe it's loneliness. Or maybe it's an illness that, that you're struggling with, that one that just doesn't seem to, to go away. Or, or maybe it's an anxiety, a fear of, of what's coming a fear of what, what, what tomorrow's going to look like. A, tomorrow, a fear maybe of what even next month or next month next year is going to look like. And, and your mind is racing down ahead of you. And Jesus says, it's okay. It's okay. Just come sit with me. Let me put my arm around you. Feel my love. Feel my protection. Know that I'm with you. Know that I will be sufficient for whatever we face together all made possible because of the cross. And so that's why all we're going to try to share with you is Jesus and the cross. We're going to speak Jesus to you over and over and over again because that's what you and I need together. 
And so he goes on in verse five, he says, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Literally, actually, for Jesus' sake should be translated through Jesus. That we, are, we ourselves are your bondservants through Christ, through Jesus. Again, he's not encouraging them to follow him. He's encouraging them to follow Jesus. But then he says this, and he offers ourselves, we offer ourselves to you as bondservants. He didn't say we offer ourselves to Jesus. We offer ourselves to you as bondservants. A bondservant was someone who was a freed slave, but chose to remain a servant or chose to remain a slave. It was by free choice. And so Paul talks about being a bondservant of Christ, that he is chosen to offer himself as a servant to Jesus, as to be that, that vessel, that instrument of God's righteousness and grace. But here he says that we're offering ourselves to you. Do you see what he's saying here? He, he, and he, it's like right back to verse one. Because we've received such a great mercy, since we've been loved in such a way, we just want to love you. Isn't that beautiful? That that love of Christ is more than enough that it's overflowing into other people. We love because he first loved us. And that's what we want to be to you. We want to be that reminder, that, that, that voice that keeps pushing us back to Jesus. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on back up here because I want to, I want to close with a, with a song that um, hopefully will have more meaning and power this now uh, in light of what we talked about. I, I pray that you would be able to, to understand maybe the, the lyrics and the, and the power of this song. I, I just had it playing in my mind all week long. And I, so I messaged Robin. I said, Robin, is there any way we can play this song? Because I think it's just such a, hopefully actually what I want to do hopefully I'll curse you this week with this song. You know what I mean by that? That hopefully all week long, you're just thinking about this song over and over and over again. Then you'll know what my week was like. <laughs> but it will point you back to Jesus and why we need Jesus and what he's offering to you and I, the life that he's offering us in him. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.